Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened. And we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged. And we love you. God bless. So today, we're going to kind of get ready for next week. We're going to lay a foundation today that will prepare us for some of the things that we're going to talk about beginning next week. Today, uh, we're going to call today's message, Getting Ready for the Rest of Your Life. Getting Ready for the Rest of Your Life. Uh, How many of you believe that the rest of your life can be the best of your life? See, I believe that finding God's plan and finding God's purpose for our life, Jesus called it an abundant life in John 10 and 10 that I believe that that's the definition of an abundant life is finding God's purpose and plan for us. And that's what this series is going to be all about. So here's the deal. Today we're going to talk about choices. Just so I knew who I'm talking to, raise your hand if you've ever made a poor choice. Well, if you're not raising your hand, that means you're lying and that's a poor choice. Would you agree with me when I say that we've all at time made poor choices? We've all made choices that we wish we could undo do you ever wish that like your dvr that you could just back up sometimes and redo some poor choices not buy the car that cost you that much money not go to the job that you shouldn't have gone to not gone out with this person on a date uh yeah so what we're going to talk about is is moses made four life-shaping choices and what we're going to learn today is that if you and i can model some of our choices after some of the choices that Moses made, then the rest of our life can become the best of our life. I sincerely believe that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 23 to 27. Uh, It'll be on the screen behind me. There wasn't room for it in your bulletin. If you're following along on your iPad, your iPhone, your smartphone, you can, um, it'll all be there. So... Follow along with me in whatever way you can. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You probably know the story. But the the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were multiplying greatly because all they did, all there was to do in Egypt is make bricks and make babies. So they were multiplying greatly. And so the Pharaoh said, you know what? They're getting too big. If they get much bigger, they'll be able to take us over. So here's what we're going to do. The first male child from every family, kill him. Kill him. First male child, every family, kill him. Well, God gave a child to Moses' parents, and they recognized something, something unique about this child, that he was no ordinary child. And they said, we don't really care what the king said. We're going to do all we can to protect him. So by faith... Um, you, you know the story. They put him in a basket, and the Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and raised Moses as her own son, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which made him Pharaoh's grandson. Then his life changed a little. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Lord, I just pray over the next few moments that these words are anointed for this church, for this time, for today. And God, you'd help us to make life-changing choices today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God gave us the ability to choose. Uh, It's called free moral choice. In other words, if you choose to go your own path, God may send, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a nudge uh, to to direct you back. But how many know He's not going to lasso you? That if you want to walk your own path, you've got the freedom to do that. If you're going to walk your own path, you have the ability to make that choice. And so, I, I wonder how often we genuinely make choices that affect us farther than we anticipate them to. Um, for instance, I, I said yes to a group date with Donna Henry. Really not thinking that much about it. That shaped the rest of my life. That one, that one choice. So let me understand that choices matter. So we're going to talk about four life-shaping choices that, that Moses made. First of all, if you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, here's what we can learn from Moses. That we need to refuse to be defined by others. To refuse to be defined by others. Here's what verse 24 said. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up. This is a decision of maturity. Moses was mature. He was grown. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm not going to be defined by growing up in Pharaoh's house. By this time, he had learned his true identity. He had learned his true heritage. And he was not going to be defined as, as a person of Pharaoh's household. He wanted to be defined as his person of heritage, as one of God's chosen people. He said, I'm not going to be defined as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to be defined as one of God's chosen people. Here's the interesting thing. In verse 23, God chose Moses. In verse 24, Moses chose God. Scripture tells us, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's Romans chapter 12. Here's what I know, that God's purpose for you is good. That God's will for you is is good. And that's what I want us to be defined by. What God says, who God says we are, not who culture says we are. So here's the question. Who is determining your identity? Is it culture? Is it, is it your parents? Maybe? Now listen, I, I want you those of you that are still young enough to be in your parents' household, I, I want you to glean from your parents' wisdom. I want you to uh, learn from their knowledge. They've been they, they can't be as old as they are by being stupid. You can't get as old as us parents are by being dumb. You've got to have a little bit of wisdom. 
to make it this long. But listen, I don't want my sons to be pastors because I'm a pastor. I want them to find their own identity. I want them to find God's purpose and God's plan. Maybe some of you, your identity is, is, you found it from your children. You're living vicariously through them on the, on the baseball field or the soccer field or the beauty pageant. I'm telling you, let God define who you are. Let Him tell you what your plan and purpose is. <laughs> I was uh, in, in an event. I wonder if this has ever happened to you. I was in an event, and it was about probably about 50 or 60 people in this room this past week. And this guy walked up to me and put his arm on my shoulder, patting me on the back and said, Dwayne! Man, it's so good to see you. Man, it's been so long. How you doing? How's your family? I'm like, man, it's good. I have no idea who this guy is. I looked at the guy sitting beside me, and I'm like, what's his name? Who is that? He told me his name, and I should have recognized him. I should have known who he was. But here's the deal. He he had to answer to whatever I called. He's like, how you doing, Dwayne? I'm like, I'm good, buddy. I'm awesome, partner. And here's, here's my go-to is, I'm good, big guy. Just so you know, don't do that to a lady. You can't, you can't, you can't recover from that one. See, I don't want to let just anything define, I don't want my culture to define me. I don't want, all I want to be known as is who God created me to be. Does that make sense? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, Our purpose is to please God, not people. Could we stop there and us all learn a lesson right there? Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of our hearts. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Would anybody just fess up with me and say, there's been times in your life, maybe now, when you're guilty of just trying to please everybody? How'd that work out for you? I, I remember uh, when, when uh, we planned this church, that was my goal. I just wanted to make everybody happy. And you know what I'm learning? That you can't make everybody happy. Here's something I, I told, uh, I, I hear Donna telling our, our worship team often, and, and, and I've heard Rusty say this as, as they're preparing, is that we ought to live our lives, or they ought to, they, they sing their song to an audience of one. In other words, when they sing, they, they want you to participate with them, but you're not their audience. The, the audience is God Almighty, and, and we, that's how we ought to live our lives. That we, we live our lives to please Him, to serve Him. And if that makes anyone else unhappy, then I'd, I'd rather make 10 million people happy, unhappy and, and, and serve and, and make the one true God happy than make 10 million people happy and displease the Lord. So we, we, we live our lives as an audience of one. See, envy tells us, I want to be like you. In other words, I, I want to be like you. I want to have what you have. I want to own what you own. I want to possess what you possess. I want to I have a marriage like you have. I, that, that's envy. I want to be like you. People pleasing is, I want to be liked by you. And can I tell you, that is a futile endeavor. Because it doesn't matter you're never going to make everybody like you. So why don't we stop trying? Now, that doesn't mean we're snotty to people, is it? That doesn't mean we we treat people poorly. That that means we 
funnel our actions through an audience of one, that we please God and Him alone. He said this in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Let me tell you what I, I believe real success is in life. Real success in life is not the corner office. Real success in life is not the nicest car in my cul-de-sac. Real success in life is becoming and being exactly who I was created to be. Real success in life is becoming exactly who you were created to be. And the only way you're going to find that is to live a life as a, with an audience of one. To serve Him and to please Him and to, and to live your life in full pursuit of Him. And honestly, that's what this campaign starting next week is going to be all about. It's finding that plan, finding that purpose. And, and I, I told them this in the prayer room. Here's what you need to understand. This is not going to be some spiritual platitude where we say, hey, you need to find God's purpose. We're going to say, we, we want you to find God's purpose, and here it is. You're going to understand, if you'll make an investment over the next 40 days, over the next six weeks, you'll leave understanding what your purpose is, what your God-given purpose is. You'll understand that. So, we refuse to be defined by others. We're defined by the purpose and plan of God. Number two, the life-shaping choice is to choose short-term pain for long-term gain. If you're an athlete, this is, not a, this is not a philosophy that you haven't heard before. If you've ever been in a gym, you've seen the poster. If you've ever played high school athletics, you've, you've heard your coach say this, that no pain, no gain. And, and you know, understand, the, those principles are, are for more than the weight room. How I many of those principles equate to life? How about financially? Saying no today... Experience a little pain by not having the car you might want or being able to go out to eat as much as you want or being able to have the house that you want today. Being able to say no today may pay off with great dividend later. A little pain today, great gain later. Dave Ramsey says it like this. He says, live today like no one else so one day you can live like no one else. That holds true for our marriage. The investment we make in our relationships. You know, if, if, if I go through the, the pain, the discomfort of saying no to Dwayne so I can say yes to her. If I can say no to me to say yes to my children, there's a great dividend that's paid off later. So I'm going to tell you that there may come, and this is not a very popular message, that they, we may have to say no to ourselves from time to time. Here's what happened to Moses. Moses, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 25 of Hebrews says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Can we just be real with each other? Sin can be pleasurable. It, it doesn't make you a heathen if you agree with me. Because first... If, if, if sin wasn't pleasurable, if sin wasn't fun, if sin wasn't attractive in some way, shape, form, or fashion, then guess what? You wouldn't want to do it. But Moses said no to the pleasures of sin so he could step into his God-given office 
How many of you know that even in the Nile River, even as a child, even as a child in Pharaoh's house, God had a plan for Moses. That God knew that his people were oppressed. And he'd heard the prayers of his people. And he, he said, I'm going to send you a deliverer. And he grew up in Pharaoh's house. And Moses had no idea as an eight-year-old, as a nine-year-old, that God was going to use him mightily one day. But guess what? God knew all along. And so by, by, as Moses began to recognize that God had a plan for him, him saying no to the pleasures of sin for a season brought him great gain and rescued what some scholars say was as many as two million people from the oppressive Egyptians. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says this. I want you to listen to this one particular word. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop. You ought to circle that word develop. Endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Here's a problem in our nation. I'm just going to get... We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to say no to uh, our, our immediate desire our immediate want. We don't understand the principle of delaying gratification. We don't understand that. And it's killing our country, by the way. Our country's citizens are buried in debt because our government showed us how to do it. And so what I'm telling you is God's got a better way. Sometimes we say no. And, and that's not a really popular thing. But can I tell you that you're going to be tempted. And rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, I'm going to tell you to say no. Because God's got a greater plan for you. Because, listen, uh, we talk a lot here about grace and forgiveness and mercy, don't we? And I believe that there is forgiveness and grace for every sin. I believe that and will go to my grave with that message. But how many understand that forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequence? Forgiveness doesn't, if, if, if I go and rob a bank and commit murder, God will forgive me, but I'm going to prison. I'm telling you that God's got a better plan for us than that. Yes. See, God's not a God of, uh, of judgment, and God's not a God of, uh, what, what I'm, God's not a God that, 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 that wants you to not enjoy life. He just has a broader range of vision than you do. And what you see as pleasurable for a few moments or a a short season, God sees as a key to death for you. And He wants more for you than that. That's not your purpose. These present troubles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, these present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Is it crazy to say that problems can be productive? That the stuff that you might be walking through, God might be using you, just as as these trials that that Moses went through. You ought to read the whole story, by the way. Was producing in him the character that he needed, the strength that he needed to become everything that God had him destined to be. And I'm telling you that the stuff you're walking through, the problems you might be experiencing, could very well be producing in you strength and character to accomplish the great thing that God has destined for you to do and to become. So problems can be reductive. So, there we are. 
We're going to refuse to be defined by others. We're going to choose short-term pain over, uh, excuse me, for long-term gain. We're going to, number three, write this down if you're taking notes, to choose God's values. Maybe I should say it like this. We should choose God's values over the world's values. Here's what happened in verse 26 of chapter 11. Listen. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Here he was faced with the choice of slavery, treasure. Pleasure, treasure. He, he could have chosen the treasures of Egypt. They were at his disposal. He was Pharaoh's grandson. And he said no. Because he was choosing what was important to God. So I'm going to ask you the question, what's important to you? What's important to you? What do you value more than anything else? If I had to, if I had, if I had to force you to... To, to say what's the most important thing in your life, what would you say? What's the more, most important three things in your life? See, because what, what you value is what you'll pursue. Jesus said it like this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if, if you value possessions and money, listen, you can have it. You work hard enough, you can have it. If you value a marriage, you can have it. If you put that much time and energy, you, you can have those things. But can I tell you what I prefer for me and I prefer for you and I prefer for my family is that we value what God values. So what does the world value? The world values, first of all, the world values popularity. How many of you know that? Uh, we're, we're right in the middle of this If you're my age or around, you've seen a lot of presidential elections. You've never seen one like this. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, I, and I don't stand behind a pulpit and tell you who to vote for. I'm just telling you, it's crazy. It, it, and and I, I'm, I watch a lot of Fox News and I watch these polls go up and down and up and down and popularity go up and down and up and down. And, and can I tell you, it's a relentless pursuit. And, and, and that's what our culture says is important. See, it's been over 30 years since I've been in high school, but I remember wanting to be part of the popular table. See, our popularity in our high school was divided by lunch tables. Is it still like that, by the way? No, not. it's not. Okay, well, never mind. Well, it was in my high school. You know, the cool kids sat at one table, and the potheads sat at another table, and the jocks sat at another table, and, and I just kind of sat. Because here, here's what I've learned now, is that what made you popular in high school doesn't carry you very far after high school. But the world values popularity, it values prestige, it values power. The world values pleasure. We, we just read it in verse 25, the pleasures of sin. The world values possessions, the treasures of Egypt in verse 26. 1 John 2 and 17 says this, The world and everything in it that people desire, listen, 
Hey, if that's your pursuit, if popularity, pleasure, and possessions are your pursuit, listen to this. The world and everything in it that people desire is passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. So what does God value? What does God value? If I'm going to choose God's values over the world's values, what does God value? Here here they go. You you can write this down if you want to. What God's values, number one, God's purpose is more valuable than popularity. God's purpose was more valuable to Moses. By faith, verse 24, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. God's purpose was more valuable to him than being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. God values, number two, people are more valuable than pleasure. Pleasure and treasure. Hey, if you've been around here on Wednesday nights, you've heard us say this a lot, that people matter to God. People ought to matter to us. And and what you're going to find as you plug into God's purpose for your life over the next several weeks, here's what you'll understand is that you'll fall in love with the things that God's in love with. What's important to God will become important to you. And here's what we understand. People are important to God. And number three, peace of mind is more valuable than possessions. God's purpose, people, and peace of mind more valuable than possessions. God values people. God values us following his purpose. God wants to give you peace of mind. We only find that when we discover what he has for us, our lives and his purpose for us. Lastly, here, here's the deal. Great choice. Choose to live by faith, not by fear. By faith, this is verse 27, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Now, here's what you have to understand. God told Moses to walk into Pharaoh's court and say, let my people go. Now, here's what, if, if, if you understand a little bit about that, that kind of government, if Pharaoh wanted you dead, you were dead. He didn't have to go through a Congress. He didn't go through anybody. If he spoke the words, kill him, you were a dead man. And so Moses just walking into his presence, unannounced, uninvited, and making a demand like, hey, you need to let all these people go. Moses was taking his life in his hands. Now, maybe that wouldn't cause you to fear, but it I'd be a little nervous. I'd be a little anxious. But Moses said, listen, the scripture we read, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He was living by faith, not by fear. I showed you an I Am Second video a few weeks ago of Bethany Hamilton. You may remember, she's the the young lady that lost her arm in a shark attack. She's a professional surfer. She uh, was on a fast track to becoming a... uh, She wasn't professional at that time, but she was on a fast track to becoming a professional surfer. Went to the water, came out without her arm, almost died. Doctor said, you'll never surf again. Uh, There's no way you'll be able to keep your balance with one hand. Now, I'm just curious. If you've been attacked by a shark and lost your arm, almost died, would you be real excited about going back to the beach? Would you be real excited about getting in the water again? No. But weeks after Bethany Hamilton lost her arm, guess where she was? She was on a surfboard in the water. She's a believer, by the way. You know why? Because 
she knew God. She felt like she was called into, into this lifestyle to be a light for Christ. She said, I'm not going to live my life by fear. I'm going to live by faith. And so here's all I'm going to say to you guys. Maybe some of you here need, you need to get back in the water. I don't, I, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't know why, but maybe, maybe you got hurt. Maybe you got sick. I, I, I don't know, but you've, you've been operating by fear instead of faith. And I'm going to tell you that maybe it's time to get back in the water. In fact, I hope a whole, I'm going to get just a little southern with you. I hope a whole heap of us get back in the water over the next six weeks. See, the truth is, we, we see the disciples going across the lake. And only one of them had enough faith to get out of the boat. And I'm just going to tell you that if, if you're letting fear, let me just sum it up like this. If you're letting fear stop you from becoming exactly who you were created to be, man, I, I want you to get back in the water over the next few days and weeks. Because I don't care who you are in this room. Please hear this. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care if today's your first day ever stepping foot in the church. God's got an amazing, incredible, perfect will, plan, and purpose for your life and something amazing for you to accomplish. And don't you dare let fear stop you from becoming everything God has created you to become. So I'm going to give you a couple things to kind of take this home. A couple things of how we can, as we go into this campaign, as we go into this series, a couple of ways that you and I can, can make choices today that will help us as we go through this process. You're going to hear this first deal. I say it so much, and I'm going to say it throughout the course of this campaign. First of all, you need to be here. Write this down. Get support from others. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you another shameless plug. I believe for you to get everything that you need to get out of this series, you need to connect in a small group. Now, there's two ways you can do that. On Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Now, some of you come to both, and I want you to continue to do that. But here's what you need to know. They're going to be very, very similar. Because we want to give everybody an opportunity to come to at least one of those every week during this campaign. And I, I want you to listen to me. You will not regret it. Somebody said that spiritually, we don't grow in rows, we grow in circles. And these groups are going to be small enough to where if you have, a, you have something you want to say, you have a question you want to ask, you have something you want to learn more, uh, there's, there's liberty there for you to be able to do that. And you'll get support from people who are walking down the same journey you're walking through. 
Not because they have all the answers or I have all the answers or Donna has all the answers, but we're walking down this journey together. And, and I, just, I, I just need you to hear this again. And if you think I'm harping on it, it's because I am. Because, see, I, I, have a, I have a vantage point that you don't have yet because I, I know what's coming. And I know how much, how much more you'll get out of it if, if you'll take that. Listen to what I'm asking. I'm asking for an hour. You'll get so much more out of this process if you'll get support from a small group. The Bible says it. Let us not neglect our meeting together. And we'll do everything. If you need child care, if you let us know, we'll make sure that that's available. And then lastly, and this is kind of how we're going to pray today. Ask and expect God to help. Listen to me. Listen, let me read this passage of Scripture. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I'll not be dismayed. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do His will, and I know that I will triumph. Well, how can He say that? How can He say, I've set my face like a stone, I'm determined to do His will, and I know I'll triumph? How can He say that? Because, what's the, what's the very first sentence? Because the sovereign Lord has helped me. So here's what my challenge for you this week is. Maybe at this point, you're kind of like, okay, it's another sermon series. I'll come. I'll watch it on my phone. Uh, it'll be, I, I'm going to ask you to do something radical. We did a, ser- uh, a series a few weeks ago on Wednesday night that was called Dangerous Prayers. I'm going to ask you to pray a dangerous prayer. God, over the next six weeks, reveal to me my purpose. Reveal to me what you want me to do with my life. Reveal to me how I can serve you in a greater way. Ask Him to do that. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to church next Sunday morning, having involved yourself in this process, having invested your time, talent, and treasure, having invited someone. I want you to come to church next Sunday morning and expect God to do something supernatural and real and powerful. Do you, think, do you think it honors God when we ask Him to do something and expect Him to do what we ask? Yeah. I think it honors God. I think it speaks of our faith. I think it speaks of our trust in Him. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God to do... Listen, I, I don't want Donna to pray. God, I want you to fix joy. I want you to square her away. I want you to do what... God, I want you to do a work in our church. I, I, want, I want you to cause us to grow spiritually as a body. But God, would you do this? Would you start right here in my own heart? Would you change my own life? Would you focus my own, uh, my, my own spirit, my own soul toward the purpose that you have for my life? Would you speak clearly to me as an individual about what you'd have me do with the rest of my life? Make the rest of my life the best of my life. Make it count. Make my life significant. Don't you want that for your own life? Don't you want it at the end of your life? Don't you want it to have stood for something? To have counted for something? Can I tell you, you can spin your wheels in this culture all you want to. The only thing that lasts forever is what you do with Christ and what you do for Christ and what Christ does in you. That's the only thing that will last forever and forever. I believe in doing all the other stuff and, and, and having a great career and raising a great family and getting a great education. But at the end of the day, all of that, we just read it, all that's going to pass away. God, show me. My purpose. That's our prayer. Will you bow with me? And let's pray together.
I need you to know from the very beginning what this series is all about. It's about the gospel. It's about the fact that Jesus came to this world. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And can I tell you that you have an enemy and he loved to see you die. Not becoming everything that God created you to be. But he didn't stop there. Jesus went on to say, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe what God wants to do in each and every one of you is to give you a purpose, to give you a plan. In fact, that I, I, I probably said that incorrectly. He's already given you a purpose. He's already given you a plan. What I want Him to do over the next several weeks is to reveal it to you. And listen to me. I've never seen God turn away a hungry heart. So if you're here and like me, want your life to be significant, want your life to count, want you, want, you want to find success in becoming exactly what God created you to be then that's what we're going to ask him to do today. But here's what I need you to know. It all starts at one place. It all starts at the foot of the cross. So if you're here and you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I'm going to challenge you to do that right now. I'm going to challenge you to surrender your life today and to live your life from this point forward in full pursuit, in, in full pursuit of Christ's purpose and plan for your life. To follow Him. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian all your life. Or you think. I'm going to tell you to pray and ask God to speak to you something fresh and something new about what He wants to do in your life. To reveal your purpose. And then expect Him to do just that. What I'd like to do now is to pray for you. I'd, l- I'd like to pray that God causes you to walk in His purpose in such a way that you become exactly what He created you to be. I can't tell you this. i tell you what He didn't create you to do. i tell you what His purpose isn't. His purpose for you isn't for you to go through this life addicted and defeated. <laughs> His purpose for you isn't for you to go through this life depressed and lonely. His purpose for you isn't that you go through this life anything short of His great plan and purpose for you. I'm not telling you that you're never going to have an issue, that you're never going to have a problem. See, there's, there's people who would stand behind a pulpit and say that God's plan for you is wealth, that God's plan for you is perfect health. And I'm going to tell you that that's not always God's plan. But here's what His plan is is that even in poverty, even in sickness, He wants to walk with you and talk with you and be with you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Let's, let's ask Him to help us discover that over the next few weeks. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray as humbly as I know how to, God, that You would reveal in us, You'd answer the question over the next few weeks, what on earth am I here for? You speak clearly to our hearts about the purpose and plan that you have. And help us, God, to become exactly what you've created us to be. 
I love you, Jesus. I believe you're going to do a great work in some lives. God, I'm going to ask you to do a great work in mine. God, I want to know you more at the end of this six weeks than I know you today. I want to understand more about who you are and the way you do things. I love you, Jesus. Meet every need in this place today. In Christ's name, amen.